ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the You Mad Bro podcast, and I warn you of mature content ahead. This show aims to tackle controversial topics going on in the world on a week-to-week basis. The platform of this program is opinionated and occasionally supported by examples and facts, but does not ever aim to be definite. That being said, the views offered by our hosts and guests are not intended to offend or hurt the feelings of any person, no matter their race, gender, sexual orientation, political viewpoint, etc., They only serve as catalysts for poor attempts at humor and maybe a different way of thinking. If you're such an individual that is easily offended or cannot handle your own viewpoints being challenged, you've been adequately warned to not participate. If you're still with us, then please stand, kneel, or lay down. Just be sure to remove your ball caps for the national anthem. What? You mad, bro? All right, all right, all right, all right. Everyone, everyone, settle down, settle down. Change of pace this week. Good at talking with the police. Oh, this is the You Mad Bro podcast, ladies and gentlemen, on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions on the Ambiguous Network. Make sure you follow this podcast anyone, everywhere podcasts can be found, including. Jeez, Ashley, you. Good goddamn, Nash is pouring two drinks for this show. It's going to be a doozy. Um, I'm trying to do Jaeger bombs before we. Uh, start off. All right, yeah, you know, do you, boo? All right, Instagram, you member pod, Facebook, you member podcast, YouTube, you member pod. If you like the full episode, full episode of the show, if it's too long for you, we cut down into clips. Some funny, some informative, but some of both. Um, of course, I am Will Tarashuk. That is Nash Morer. Woo! And we are ready to go. A full episode this week, strictly on the police and what's been going on the past week, two weeks, few weeks, and moving forward with the idea of defunding the police and going as far as the show Cops being canceled and a whole story around live PD. So Nash, are you ready to talk about the boys in blue? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Lay it on me, dude. All right. I'm just so prepared for So it. initially, <laughs> what is your first thought when you hear the term defund the police? That makes sense. That's something I agree with. Yeah, defund, I agree with. Now, the other one that we'll get into. Abolish? <laughs> That's just you don't know words. Yeah, but, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that, too. So um, with, with, obviously, police brutality going on this past few weeks, a lot of people are talking about disbanding the police, abolishing the police, uh, refunding the police. Not refunding, but like refinancing uh, where that money goes. And when I hear the term defund the police, my first immediate reaction is, what are you out of your mind? No. But then... I go, well, okay, wait a minute. Once I figure out what it actually means and what, like, what people define it as, okay, that makes sense. But I need to know more. Well, for me, defunding has always meant, okay, there are too many resources or the job isn't getting done. Right. So you need to restrict the resources. So they put it on more of their immediate purpose mm-hmm. for, for, for really anything that goes, you know, fire department, a hospital. Right any kind of company like that's that's pretty much what defunding means you want to see how the funds are actually being allocated because i think everybody you know the, the term like militarization of the police that's a real thing it's not it's not made up or fictional and a really good point that somebody made on social media actually this is actually a good point somebody made on social media was like <clears throat> we don't have universal health care right but we have a universal police state if need be it's like every city had the capacity to yeah. riot squad out <laughs> yeah. the police yeah, yeah, that they yeah. had. Yeah. So I, that's a very excellent point. Yeah. It's really the idea of, okay, you want to defund the police. I need to know more. How much is the police getting? 
right? And when I actually saw numbers, I'm like, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of money. So let's start in the city of Minneapolis. Uh, nine of the 13 members of the Minneapolis City Council pledged to dismantle the police department and make a new system for public safety. The decision was made by a veto-proof majority. Um, Mark said most of the significant actions to address policing in the city have to be taken into killing of George Floyd and sparked widespread calls to defund and abolish the police, et cetera, et cetera. While these ideas are not new, uh, the fact that they have now become more mainstream is. Um, still, there are many misconceptions about what it actually means. So before we actually get into that, Nash, um, let's get into more a little bit of the history of policing because that's been thrown a lot around a lot this week. Um, the origins in the history, the roots of policing. Um, my, a big thing we're going to talk about this is, okay, defund the police. A oh, big question of is of why. And yeah. that's another point of discussion. Arvin going around, Prince Argon is saying that the, the police are need to be defund for race reasons. Um, and someone's saying it just needs to be defunded because it should go towards other resources. Some people are kind of in the middle. Yeah. Um, so the history of law enforcement in the South started as slave patrol. Um, a group of vigilantes hired to capture slaves that escaped. Is that really the first form of policing? In the U.S., no. That's how it started in the South. Okay. That's what it says there. But, I mean, you can't really be a hired vigilante. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. You're, you're, like, you're a mercenary. Well, because they were hired to do it because that was the biggest law and the economy was dependent upon it. Right. Um, but, I mean, police states, or not police states, policing started... In the most archaic sense, it's a form of, of watchmen you would have, um, typically at night. Uh, but in the U.S., it'd be probably somewhere as early as the 1600s, early 1600s, like 1610 or maybe even before. You'd have people that were hired um, by the city mm -hmm. um, occasionally, but more likely they're hired by whoever had, you know, the business that was being done there in that colony or that town, you know? Mm -hmm. So the, the wealthy guy bought the police to keep order and structure, mm -hmm. mainly to keep workers in line. So the city didn't, you know, fall apart. So that would have, cause that would have happened well before the South because the Southern slave trade didn't occur until South Carolina was a thing. And South Carolina wasn't a thing until like, I want to say mid to late 1600s, if not the early 1700s. So yeah, because police started um, <clears throat> as a sort of private and social sort of understanding. But it's kind of funny because I know that like being a night watchman was often like a, a part of a punishment. Like mm -hmm. nobody really took it too seriously when you had to do it. You know, that's when people would, you know, they, if, okay, you got to be up all night, make sure nobody does anything. And they just go to the bar. Right. right. <laughs> and, and, right, get, right. and get paid to go to the bar and drink. Um, so, so would you say like the origins of policing is rooted in, rooted in racism? <sighs> it's it just your opinion. It depends. I mean, in the U S for South Carolina, hundred percent. Okay. That's just how that state operated. That was a slave state. That was, okay. I mean, to this day, I think the population is majority African-Americans. 
um, just as of an effect of slavery, because back then you straight up had like one white guy right. for every like 3000 black people. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, or something ridiculous like that. And so, I mean, there it definitely is. But no, because it started, you know, because that's like, you know, Plymouth and shit like right. their police forces weren't different. They weren't racially motivated. But then again, they probably didn't have too many different races mm-hmm. as we would define them today. Mm-hmm. Whereas back then it could, it could have been, you know, different white peoples. So fast forward when slavery was abolished, the police mm-hmm. were used to enforce Jim Crow laws. And this is a quote, American police departments were originally uh, created to dominate and criminalize communities of color and the poor white workers as a job they continue to do to this day. That's a quote from Minneapolis based Institute MPD 150. Um, explains an effect sheet on a, on um, abolition. Zona Khan say, "quote The list has grown uh, even longer. LGBTQ folks, uh, people with disabilities, activists, and so many of us are attacked by the cops on a daily basis." Now, I think that's a bold statement. Yeah, I would say too. Um, like, okay, I, I, under- I understand. Like, people are still very upset, and they yeah. still want the reform. But we really need to have open and honest conversations about the police and some a statement like that is just it's very it's like you're generalizing yeah because of course everybody has been at one point victimized there's one person in every category of human in america that has been victimized by the police right like i i i i am on the field of yeah police need to be looked at and reformed but it's because of racism it's it's a reason. I'd say it's probably it's a reason. Right, Minneapolis is in Minnesota. Yeah. Where's Minnesota on a map? It's like next to Canada, Michigan. Yeah, I don't. I'm just going to make the bold claim that that has their police force has nothing to do with slavery. Yeah. From its origin. So uh, now police are far more, far more likely to use force against black people and black people are also disproportionately arrested and sentenced um, that is that is a line from the article from Rogue Rocket. Now, I do like Rogue Rocket. That's where I get most of uh, my information as well as the other sources that they use. At the bottom of their sheet, they always check out what other people are saying. That's what they use to research their article, and that's why I use to research this this story, as well as Philip DeFranco. He is the owner of Rogue Rocket. Now, what I like about Rogue Rocket is they don't typically editorialize. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know Philip DeFranco was the owner. Yeah, he, he's, he started Rogue Rocket. Um so I typically they don't editorialize, but it's something I've noticed that they have been. And that is an editorial statement um, are far more likely to use force against black people. Well, well that, no, that, that, that's uh, that's that's an accepted fact. OK, that's, that's not um, that's not hyperbole or twisting the numbers in any way. That's, I, that's something I've definitely have actually studied. That is 100 percent accurate. OK, even though white people are more likely to be. It's like you'll have more incarcerations of African-Americans, but you have a ridiculously high, higher number of white people who are actually the sellers, distributors and users of narcotics across the board. I believe that. So let's let's look into some of these numbers. Um, So all of these, everything I'm about to say now, I'm not going to say I don't necessarily agree or disagree with this is this is information I got from the Making Sense podcast with Sam Harris. So take that for what you will. Uh, Sam Harris is a philosopher and neuroscientist. He has an excellent <laughs> he is he has an excellent podcast. He's a left wing guy. Um, he talks to a bunch of innovators and thinkers from society. This one he did like an hour and a half, two hours by himself, is talking about 
honest conversations about the police and why race in itself and this discussion can be a distraction from the core issue. So, so when you say leftist, just because I want to be like, he's a Democrat. Okay, he's a Democrat. I don't don't want to paint him. No, he is. He is a self. He is a self-proclaimed Democrat. Okay. Um. So, Nash, I know you. I know you're okay. So, cops kill a thousand people per year, on average, right? I think in 2019, 2018, it's like around a thousand people. Twenty-five percent of those are black, and fifty percent are white. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Now, a common argument to that is, okay, well, the African-American population is 13% in the U.S., so shouldn't that be similar? Shouldn't it be uh, more right? related? Yeah. So that's a good counter-argument, uh, but that does not also account for uh, black-on-black crime, and the numbers of white-on-black crime is significantly low in comparison. That was Sam Harris's argument. I want to know what you think. All right. I mean, because, like, obviously, there's more white people yeah, by a lot. So it's going to be you, more yeah, white people ex- killed by white cops, which I I, I get that argument. Um, you'd ex- yeah, you'd expect statistically you'd expect that right. higher population base. If people are getting killed, you'd expect them to be roughly the same based off of population. Right, but this whole conversation is we form a police because it's violence against African Americans communities of color. When that's not the whole story, right? Because. I think the police need to be reformed because it's just they're do not they're not doing their job, right? I don't know to say it's because they're rooted from racism. Yeah. Oh, I mean that's another thing. The police, like the police, really wasn't a thing until like I know it was Hoover who enacted the reform. Um, it was like the Wickershaw, the Ramshaw, something like that um, reform, and like it had to have been like nineteen twenty eight, twenty nine. When he was still president, <clears throat> but that was essentially he took a nationwide look. See, that's the thing. Everybody poops on Hoover because of the Great Depression. It's like he didn't do it <laughs> anyway. Now, he, he wasn't the, he wasn't the right guy to have an office at that moment. But yeah, um, you know, essentially he took a national look at the at policing because there wasn't any specific um, order to it. And like what I said earlier about how it was, you know, Sometimes it would be local communities, you know, organizing watchmen for their own public good. But how do you fund that? In large cases, it'd be whatever the biggest business in town was. That was essentially organizing all of the police. Mm-hmm. And that was the case up until like 1929 when Hoover was like, all right, let's look at this. And it's pretty obvious back then because he was afraid of people were policing based off of political agenda. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Um, so. That was kind of what his reform was to make sure that people were policing based off of just areas, not based off of where politicians wanted them to be so they could craft their specific message, which nowadays, honestly, you have to ask yourself, shouldn't we do something like that again, just in general? But those statistics, I kind of got off topic of those statistics. Yeah, they are kind of high. And the more you look at, the more you realize that they are higher for African-Americans in every category. Yeah. They're like lowest for like Asians. I yeah. Think. It's, it's, it's the lowest for Asians. Now, 25% does sound like a lot. Not going to lie. Uh, yeah, it's a like, quarter of that's it, yeah. that, in comparison. But again, that's, but like, the whole thing of, okay, the whole narrative is that cops are racist, right? Yeah. Whereas a lot of those numbers, again, that's from black on black crime. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, but also Hispanic or African-American cops are more likely to shoot a Hispanic or African-American suspect from a cop. A white cop is less likely to kill a person of color. 
based on the statistics that Sam Harris presented. Right? Okay, so, uh, so a white cop is less likely to shoot someone of color. Yes. Or or a, a person a cop of color is more likely to shoot a person of color. Okay. Okay. Right? Yeah. So So if you, if you're yeah, okay. So if you're yeah, a, a minority. Right. There's more it's likely, more likely to, to get shot by another minority. Engagement. Yes. Okay. Right? Um and we also rarely hear about cops killing white people. Uh, Nash, do you know who Tony Timpa is? I do not. Right? Okay. So here's some facts about Tony Timpa. He was killed by police brutally after a policeman and had 13 minutes. Um, his knee was on this man's back above his lungs for 13 minutes. And then after he passed out, they were joking about it. The cops were joking about it. About him passing out and then he died. And he ended up dying. Right? And... That's a that's a story that a lot of people don't hear. Again, yeah, terrible. I, I, yeah. It's manslaughter. It's a very similar situation to George Floyd. Yeah, right. But and let's 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 say George Floyd was white or he was Asian. Do you think we would be having this conversation about defunding the police? Probably not. Probably no. not. Well, now it's because uh, I I want to make things clear to people. It's very hard um, to do hypotheticals like that, of course, especially because I. In history, you learn never to do hypotheticals because you don't know every everything that I assume that I estimate is based off of all the knowledge that I have around something. Mm-hmm. You know, it, so that's my guess is I want more information so I can make a more accurate guess on what was going on. So a hypothetical is the exact opposite. You have zero information other than information that essentially becomes irrelevant because you're saying, oh, well, some facts change and are different. So that's. Mm-hmm. I don't like making hypotheticals. I'm very right. learned not to, but right. I would assume that no, we probably wouldn't be talking about it at all because he was white. And that and that's my thing here. Like I'm, I don't necessarily agree 100 percent or disagree 100 percent with everything Sam Harris said. Um, I do. I do think when it comes to police reform, race is an issue. It's an issue. It's not the whole issue. But, and if you focus too much on race, you're gonna muddy the water. Because if you look at the, you got to be honest with yourself and look at the numbers, look at some mm-hmm. statistics, get the whole story, the big picture. So I even presented all this information so you can see another side, because I think things like this don't help. Right. This is a quote from Candace Montgomery, the director of Black Visions Collective. Um, she said, quote, it shouldn't have taken so much death to get us to this place. We're safer with without armed, unaccountable patrols supported um, by the state hunting black people. It's like, is it, I guess you're sort of saying like, is it actually hunting is kind of. Yeah, I think, I think a statement like that is counterproductive and it's, it's this, it's like ill-informed. It was uh, a guy we talked about in Georgia. Yeah, that, that was was a hunt. That was being hunted down. That was a hunt. You got to understand those were, again, vigilantes hunting him down. The Mm -hmm. accurate use of the word vigilante, somebody with, you know, no ties to anything other than themselves wanting to do something because they believed it was the law. That is a mm-hmm. vigilante. Mm-hmm. They are not hired by anyone. They are not part of an organization of, you know, crime or peace or justice. They were just on their own, wanted to literally hunt this guy down and, right. and take him down, right. however you want to phrase that and then and then here's another one this is from uh patrice colors c-u-l-l-o-r-s i'm apologize if i'm pronouncing your name incorrectly 
they say, quote, this is massive. Um, there's a co-founder of the Black Lives Matter and chair of the Reform LA Jails said, quote, this is the first time we are seeing in our country's history a conversation about defunding and in some people have a conversation about abolishing the police and prison state. This must be what it felt like when people were talking about abolishing slavery. It isn't. Um, like, did, like what? When, when Frederick <laughs> Douglass said he wanted to abolish slavery, I don't think he meant gradually over a slow period of time. He wanted the systematic buying and selling and torturing of people to be slowly brought out. I think he meant I want that shit gone today. Yeah. And as far as the abolitionist movement is concerned, yeah, that is what they were asking for. They didn't want it to take time. Taking time was the, it was a mediator's approach. It was, uh, abolishment means you end the system. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you gradually phase it out. It means you end it. Mm -hmm. So when you say abolish, and this is sort of, I, I think I want to get more into it when we actually talk about abolishing. Yeah, talk about yeah. the abolishing some quotes and facts. What they're that. saying because de the defunding is something I agree with. Agreed, me too. Yeah, it's something that makes sense when you have a system that is getting a lot of money and they aren't doing their job properly. That's a very rational and very helpful approach to try and solve it. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and I think that is where the conversation needs to go. And when you focus so much the conversation around race and hunting down people of color, it it doesn't help the end goal. It's an issue. It's definitely an issue. It's part of the conversation. It's not the conversation. Yeah, yeah, it, it really isn't because And you need to tell the whole story. The 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 issue isn't like racism isn't just focused in one sector. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Racism as an issue isn't if all the police weren't racist, you'd still have racism. It isn't singular to one, you know, form of government it isn't singular to one business, to one anything. It is a general way of thought for people. So, you know, if you fix the police, it's still going to exist. That's that's what I feel like people aren't getting. Like, this isn't the last stronghold of racism. We have the KKK still established in the United States, and it isn't labeled as a terrorist group. And yet Trump wants to label Antifa as a terrorist group. And since day one, which I don't disagree with, but what I'm saying is you've had the KKK since 1965, since 1865, yeah. when the Civil War ended. And they've and they've had a rebound, which was, again, a vigilante group that wanted, you know, to spread terror. Their whole persona is to terrorize. So. <laughs> I, it just seems like the most ridiculous thing. Why aren't they a terrorist group when that has since day one been their pinnacle? Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about defund the police, do not let race become a distraction. That's the big takeaway. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of people, if you haven't realized, like a lot of people are using this to sort of. Oh, look at this, because it's an issue that. It can be solved rather easily with defunding, mm -hmm. like just straight up. You mm -hmm. can analyze the system a lot better. And, and, and maybe, you know, making it so cops are not trained to put their knee on a part where people need to breathe for yeah. extended amount of time. Yeah. No and, matter what the race is. And I don't think that they they probably aren't trained that. 
I think they are. But they're screening that you can do to make sure those people, because if they were, there'd be a lot more deaths. Well, I mean, we'll take Tony Timper, for example, right? Like a, a, an argument can be made that they were laughing because what they're doing is viewed as standard procedure. Okay, well, you can, yeah, I mean, you can make that argument for anything about why they were laughing. I, I'm saying I don't think it is standard procedure to kneel on somebody so they cannot breathe at well, all. Well, not, not so they can't breathe, but to apprehend them. And to make sure that they they, yeah. they don't struggle, I think like that is part. I'm not a cop. I don't know cops. Many cops. I don't know the training of cops. But the fact that you know the four officers were surrounding this, watching, not doing anything, made it sound like this wasn't anything out of the ordinary that a cop does. Yeah, it doesn't mean they were trained to do it, though. That also doesn't mean they're. Yeah, it doesn't mean this all doesn't mean they're racist. Yeah, it was a white guy. Yeah. I'm saying is that they they probably aren't trained to kneel on somebody to restrict, not to restrict, not to restrict what? his right to prevent them from breathing. Restrict maybe because you can kneel on somebody pretty easily and restrict. It makes them it makes it harder to breathe, but mm-hmm. they can still breathe. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's get into what defunding actually means. In the simplest of terms, defunding the police uh, means taking some of the funding from police departments and investing the money into communities, specifically in marginalized communities where the majority of policing occurs. Now, um, for example, if you took, let's say Chicago, right? You took a Chicago's police department and you took like uh, X amount of millions of dollars and put it back into the community that struggles the most. It's most likely a community of color. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Again, there's an importance on where the money actually goes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, quote, for most proponents, defunding the police does not mean zeroing out budgets for public safety and police abolition does not mean that the police will disappear overnight or perhaps ever. That is a quote from Christy Lopez, professor at Georgetown Law School and co-director of the school's initiative policing program. Um, that's an op-ed from the Washington Post. Um, defunding the police and abolishing the police are two different ideas and they both rely on the same general concept, redefining what the what we mean when we say public safety and reimagining what it looks like in practice. Well, I mean, it also means redefining the word abolish, but practice, <laughs> we'll get into that. Practice also requires us to get rid of the idea that police are meant to protect communities as many black Americans and others do not feel protected by the police. And I totally understand that sentiment, that they... You know, when we've talked, we've talked to our friends and who are people of color and they are they have a very different viewpoint of the police. Justifiably so. Um, so in many major cities, police budget is the largest in the expenditure. And according to the Urban Institute, state and local governments spend one hundred and fifteen billion dollars on policing in 2017 alone. So, yeah. That can be reallocated 100%. That's a fuck ton of money. Yeah, because you got to like think about this or like whoever is listening in your community. Like, how are the roads? How, how are the schools? <laughs> some of our some of our roads don't even have lanes. Yeah, <laughs> when, they, when they need to. You got to ask yourself. And so now how's the crime? Is it low? Okay. Well, why do you have really bad roads or really bad schools or, I don't know, really bad public parks when the police have so much money and you don't even have that much crime? You know, the argument can be made, well, we don't have that much crime because of all the money is going there. Man. Man, I, 
I also think it's a poor argument. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it, it is. Because you could argue that to the end of time, you could say anything about that. Yeah. You know, oh, it's got so much money. That's why it's doing so well. Okay, well, then look at all the communities that have a ridiculous amount of budget literally going to the police. And is it actually helping? Yeah, like when, when I went to Chicago, um, we were in an Uber. And he was like, if I get a car, a call, like a call in this part of the city, sometimes the police will stop me and tell me to turn around because it's too dangerous. That's, like that's, th- that's there's, wild. there's parts of the city where the police won't even go. It's literally like the wire. The police just won't go there because it's too quote unquote dangerous. And the police just don't really do anything there. Yeah. That's in like that, that's that one part of Chicago. I forget which part it is. Um, but how much money do you think Chicago gets in policing? It's probably a lot. Mm-hmm. So where'd that money go? Define the police. Well, if I, if I may. Go ahead. It's kind of like the similar idea with a lot of these policies. And you look at politics and stuff. It's sort of like people want this thing and they have it. But what does it actually mean? Like I know when we talked about uh, gun, gun rights, mm-hmm. gun laws. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you've got cities where the gun laws are the strictest. Like in Chicago. And the violent, the gun violence is actually the highest in Chicago. And then you've got cities like New York where the gun laws are have the highest and the gun violence is pretty low. So it's like the policies in those immediate areas don't really do anything. If you think about it, it's right. about a broader subject that nobody is really willing to tackle because it's such a big subject. But also an argument to that case, and Nash is kind of like devil's advocate, like people make the argument that, okay, the gun laws are super strict in the city, but outside the city, it's incredibly lenient. And it is because they go into the city. I know, but that's the same thing can be said about New York. You you have lax gun laws in the upstate of the states around it or out of the city, but you still have lower gun violence. It's because there is more of a mental shift about sort of what guns were and how they are used and just everyone's sort of philosophy on them is different right? in the New England area compared to uh, Illinois area. Yeah. Illinois, mid, Michigan, mid, Mid-US, yeah. Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just a different philosophy around it. So it's going to be it's going to breed different effects. A policy doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah, it's just, words, better. It's just, it's just words on paper. You just created the law, but the law, you know, if people want to break it, they're going to break it that bad. Yeah. So if we did defund and reallocate, um, it would go towards mental health services, housing, hospitals, schools and food. All these things which we know to increase safety. Yeah. And that's 100 percent. Definitely. That's a very excellent point because the police probably are handling a lot of things that they probably shouldn't be and they don't do it right because of their mentality on it ever since. You'll even appreciate this more ever since the war on drugs. (laughs) Yes, the war on drugs. A war you can't win. Exactly. Um, So like the idea is that you invest in the communities, communities become safer and a less need for the police to begin with. Now, sure. But just because it's more safe doesn't mean there's going to be no crime. Yeah. I mean, we, well, the thing is sort of like where you look at where crimes happen and probably the violent ones, the most sort of that we would as a society would define the most egregious ones are lower income places, places that don't have as much money because they don't have enough structure. They don't have enough access mm-hmm. to general income. 
And so they turn to crime because often crime robbing somebody is quicker and easier than, you know, having a nine to five. Mm -hmm. And it's about it's another quote. It's about reinventing these dollars, reinvesting these dollars into black uh, black communities and communities that have been deeply divested from. That's again from the uh, Patrice, from the co-founder of Black Lives Matter movement said. Now, Nash, I have a question for you. How much money? This is this is the same house fact again. How much money average the average white household makes how much money on average, the median? Your guess? Oh, God. Um, I'd probably say like 45,000. 100. Wow. 100,000. The average white family. The average white family. So it's like, you know, husband and wife. Yeah, yeah. Right? How much do you think the average black family makes household? Well, after I know 100,000, I'm probably going to assume like 30,000. 17. Oh, my God. Right? 17. Now, a lot of that could be because, you know, single family households, it's the average, right? So half or half above, half or below. Well, that's something. Um, but but again, there is there is a policy that I really strongly agree with. I forgot what it was called, but it's essentially incentivizing single single mother households. Mm-mm. I forgot. I forgot what whoa, 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 wait, explain what you mean. Where like, it's like paying them more. The government, yeah, would would help fund single mothers. If they had a child, it would, you know, pay them more money because of their circumstance. Or it's like, well, if you do that, now you create a culture where if you don't have another person, another adult in the house bringing in money, it incentivizes that one person to just get free money. Yeah. And what if like you're married, you can just get a divorce and they could get money, even though if you know, if you just what if you like, well, okay, so what if like a family... Uh, gets divorced just so they can cheat the system. No, exactly. Well, that, that's sort of the thing. Because, well, in most cases, what you wouldn't have that. You'd have just one person seeing they can make more money by doing less, mm-hmm. which is. If that is the option, most of the time it's going to happen. Thank you, communism and s- socialism for teaching us that. So you cr- you create a whole culture where it's like don't have a family because i'm gonna get paid more if i don't yeah and is is endless studies that suggest and prove that is a better upbringing and the child is more successful with a mother and a father living in the household or just two parents two parents yeah don't well, want to no, be specific well, on no, gender, well, well, yeah. well no specifically mother and father yeah but that does not mean a, a same-sex couple should not be allowed to have children well, I don't know. Adopt. Because I don't know the stats on, because I know that recently became a statistical inquiry as to compare same-sex parent households to. Yeah. Well, same-sex, we're going we're gonna to sidebar here for a second. Um, same-sex parents, you know, they're fighting to be able to adopt children, um, which I 100% agree with. Definitely. Yeah. But statistically, it is better if there is a mother and a father, as opposed to two mothers and two fathers. Now, that doesn't mean two mothers is bad. doesn't mean it shouldn't be able to happen. Well, I just, uh, see, I, like, I don't want to comment on that because I really don't know, you know, how, how are we defining better? Yeah, I mean, how can you define that? Well, I think it's more... How, how long has this research been done? You know, because I, I feel like if you have a stable house, you know, two people with a healthy relationship... And a child in there, okay, they're it's gonna be great. 
Right. That's my understanding of it, because I don't think there's a statistical anomaly around same sex marriages or couples having like a more unstable relationship. There might be. But to my knowledge, I don't believe it's the case. So I don't see why it wouldn't. I could be wrong. It's it's the idea of psychologically that, you know, you pick up some things from your mother, you pick up some things from your father. Right. That's that's the argument. Um, You agree with or disagree with what you will. Um, But. With two parents, a child is better off with two parents in the household. So the idea of giving a single mother money just because they're single and struggling, that's a, that's a very tough sell for me. I get the sentiment, but it's a tough sell. Yeah, like the, yeah, but that's the thing. Like the purpose of the bill was because you see, okay, you've got a lot of single mothers. They're not making enough money because they have to raise the children as well as have a job. And so that hurts two people or however many people are in that household right off the bat because there's no parenting going on mm-hmm. in any way. But then once that happens, you see an incline in you see an increase in, you know, single parent households. Yeah. Or, which which is bad. Exactly. It's, which is which is bad. <laughs> it's bad for everybody because that money that they're giving you isn't enough to really live off of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not supposed to be because you're not. But the incentive that it creates is sort of the opposite of what they really it's, want. It's, counter, it's counterproductive. Yeah, throwing money at a problem doesn't really help it. Right. So I think any, everyone can agree that, you know, reinvesting into communities that are struggling will create better. But the idea is, is the police the right place to take the money from? Um, defunding would also mean shrinking police responsibilities and putting that money into other areas that are more equipped to handle specific needs. That means investing more in social mental health providers. Um, expanding community medication and violence interruption programs and providing um, more training to help de-escalate situations. And I think that's incredibly important because police are supposed to know how to de-escalate a situation, which our policing fails at pretty much a often. Lot. A lot. Yeah. They're and, not good at de-escalating a situation. And I know there is this sort of one, because um, the example that comes to mind, because I know people will say it, I know someone has told me in the past, it's like pretty recently that you shouldn't really have the police going to a domestic yeah, house. But they're not I, a marriage counselor. Well, I disagree. I think they should. 100%. It's violent. Yeah. It's violent. You're, you're going to want the police there. I think they should be able to better handle those types of situations because that's the thing. I don't know if they have a lot of training on that, but. He said, what are you going to send a marriage counselor to a domestic violence dispute? Yeah, exactly. Good luck. Exactly. Because <laughs> Dr. Schneider. the person that's being <laughs> irrational, that is being aggressive, isn't going to listen to rationality. They're going to, in a lot of cases, need to get the shit kicked out of them because they're in an angry state. They're not yeah. in a rational state. They're going to need force. <laughs> they're to, not looking to talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're going to need force to calm them down. It's not a matter of, you know, they're wanting to get, the police are going in there to rough them up. But it's like, I feel like a lot of the places where that does happen, it's very legal and easy to own a gun, too. So you'd want to send somebody that has some sort of knowledge on that kind of defense. Yeah. So I do think they should be do that. But you should again, this is part of defunding is sort of redefining what exactly they do as an organization, because you start sending marriage counselors out to domestic violence places. It's going to be pretty bad. I think right off the bat. I agree. It could be better. I could be very wrong. And I, you know, it, it could be the case, but I just see it as where it happens in lower income places. 
it's going to be easier access to violence and easier, easier common or more commonality for violence in that area. Mm-hmm. So you're going to want somebody that literally handles violence a lot and is trained to handle violence rather than somebody that's just there to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Because but- people, if you're already in that kind of dispute, you're not really talking anymore. So we can both agree police are sent to situations that they're not equipped to handle. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. So some people are saying we need to put more money into police so we can train them better. You know, well, the amount of money I, they get, is the funny. amount of money they get, one should be funding those programs. Yeah, because I needed. OK, so we need we know how much money the police get. Now we got to know where does that money go? Where is that money going to? And then talk about reallocating it. It's like people are missing a step in between the top of defunding the police. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Because we, we, we know how much they get. We agree it's a lot. I think any rational person can agree it's too much. But now the conversation is, do we put the money into A, B, and C? Or do we invest it into D, which is where it already is? Yeah. And reallocate it in the system. Do you want to reallocate it internally or externally? Yeah. I think it needs to be a combination of both. I I I think it's more of there is too much money being spent on things that aren't really that necessary because it's like if you have the capacity to handle a riot, okay, that that should be that uh, you you probably need that in pretty big areas just because in those large areas where you have a bunch of people, it's very easy for a mob mentality to exist and if it's irrational, yeah, you would want people in place to organize peace or to establish peace forcefully if need be. But for the large majority of places, you don't need the SWAT van. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't need any of that. And you should never be to that point. It's sort of like, let's take the funds and put it in organi- other organizations for the city that are actually going to you know, prevent those riots and things like that from ever happening. Yeah, you don't need to demil- demilitarization of police is, a good, is something that's also being brought yeah, up. Yeah, because it is going to be necessary in some places. Don't get me wrong. New York, Chicago, L.A., Houston, Dallas. What's another big place? Chicago. D- De- Detroit. Detroit, yeah. Those places, yeah, you've got a lot of people. Something could happen that a lot of people disagree with and they're going to riot and maybe they don't need to be rioting. Maybe they're going, you know, maybe some buildings are going to get wrecked for no reason. You need that sort of protection when it's available just because that place is unique. But for the vast majority of places in the U.S., you just need to look at it and say, you know, why are we spending this much for this when we don't ever really need it. Yeah. And that's sort of, that's why I agree with defunding because yeah, a lot of these social programs that exist probably need more funding because they always do. But now we can see sort of the benefit of that at large. Hopefully, hopefully if it's done right, we'll see the benefit. Well, let's talk about abolishing. So what does abolishing mean? Nash, I'm going to let you handle these quotes from the MP, MPD 150, which has become the, one of the main resources for concerning abolition. It flushes out the ideas in its fact sheet. So Nash, please read away. Okay, so first off, I don't have a dictionary in front of me. I know a few episodes I've like literally read a definition of people. 
But abolishing means ending a system. That's it. It means the system has ended. That's all it means. The system is ending. Okay, moving forward. Police abolition work is not about snapping our fingers and instantly defunding every department in the world. Again, that kind of conflicts with the definition. But continuing, it explains, rather, we're talking about a gradual process of strategically reallocating resources, funding, and responsibility away from police and toward community-based models of safety, support, and prevention. And so now I'm saying, well, you're using the wrong word. Continuing, the people who respond to crises in our community should be the people who are best equipped to deal with those crises. The fact sheet continues, rather than strangers armed with guns who very likely do not live in the neighborhoods they're patrolling, we want to create space for more mental health service providers, social workers, victim survivor advocates, religious leaders, neighbors, and friends, all of the people who really make up the fabric of community to look out for one another. You know what that fact sheet reminds me of? What? It's just like a utopia. Mm-hmm. It's just you sit in a circle, you sing Kumbaya. It's why can't we all just? Get, that's not how the real world works. Yeah, it would be great if this could happen. It would be amazing if we don't need police. It would be phenomenal. It's not reality. Yeah, because somebody's going to rob your store. Somebody's going to rob your house. We need police. You definitely do. And so when you say abolish, and you say, "Oh no," when we say abolish. We don't mean that we're going to get rid of it or that it's going to happen immediately. Well, then I say you're using a word for a political movement, not for it to occur correctly. And that is a very, very dangerous thing to do psychologically for people. And oh, my God, now I got to run through this whole thing. Okay, I'll do it, Nash. I'm so excited. All right. So why is it important? To use the correct words. Um, Let's see here. Words matter, Nash. When you have a movement. Without have I talked about uh, Occupy Wall Street at all? Yeah, no, 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 no. Oh, my God. Oh, it's going to be fun. I like Occupy Wall Street. Thank God we're going all the way back. So for whatever reason. Ever since Occupy Wall Street happened. uh, Social movements in the U.S. have been very geared towards that directive of people are going to organize in general to protest a common issue without leadership or without goals. Now, the issue with that is nothing will ever happen ever if that is how you organize a protest or a movement, because you can have goals. I think Black Lives Matter. There are general goals that they want. They want police reform. Mm -hmm. Largely, the matter, though, the issue is social reform. You want people to understand and acknowledge what has happened. That isn't really going on. You don't have any one person standing and sticking up by that. It's sort of like because I've heard, you know, um, people have been force fed Gandhi and MLK because they fought for peace. And so they just want people who fight to be peaceful. The thing is. Gandhi and MLK were very effective at what they did. So you're taught them because, okay, if you do have one person that examples that is the example of what they are going through, when MLK was thrown in jail at at Birmingham, people were like, what in God's name is going on? He didn't really do anything wrong. Why was he arrested? 
Mm-hmm. Same with Gandhi, who would do hunger strikes. And so now the whole world is focused on this one person saying the laws are totally inaccurate for how we should treat each other as people. I'm just going to not eat. So now this entire man's life is on the line with an entire organization behind him. Like, yes, it was one person doing it. And I know a lot of people like to fight there because there's a thing in history where it's like history is defined by a few great people. Yeah. Rather than the people behind him. It's not the case. The thing is, that person that did stand up for the organization that was entirely behind him was the best example for the organization. They took all the hits. Not just as the organization would take the organization itself would take a lot more because there are more people. But that one person was always there taking them with them and everybody knew about it. You had an easy example to point to to say, hey, look, this is everything that's going wrong. This person is showing you right here. Let them tell you about it because everyone's more likely to believe that you have a whole organization of people. You can't get one solid story. And that's exactly the case of right now. You've got a lot of different stories and a lot of confusion. There isn't a lot of things you can point to specifically that say right or wrong. You've got a hodgepodge of ideas and that's it. And so every organization since uh, social movement organization since uh, Occupy Wall Street has decided to Take the mentality of we're not going to have leaders or well-defined objectives Mm. like Antifa. I would also like to mention that Occupy Wall Street was the least successful protest ever, (laughs) ever. It probably had some of the most people ever that did it for the longest amount of time, but nothing got done because you didn't have any clear definition of what was to be done. You can't sit at the negotiating table if you don't have anyone to go to it. (laughs) And that's, that's really sort of the major point here is that if you don't define it clearly, if you don't have one person willing to stand up and clearly say what needs to be said, no one is really going to get behind your cause enough because it's not that clear to everyone. Yeah. Like why, why you and me, I wouldn't say opposed, but why we didn't believe in black lives matter before was because it wasn't clear. I can't, I personally can't get behind something that isn't well-defined. That isn't exact. And what it's trying to, to do like to this day, I'm, I'm not going to go protest and march because if that protest turns violent, I'm very good at violence. I'm very good at chaotic resistance. But I'm not going to do that for something I don't understand. I'm not going to do that if it's something that I don't believe in. And you can never believe it if no one is defining it for you. So when you say abolish the police, you're doing something that I believe it was James Baldwin who warned against. Um, He was uh, an African-American gay playwright in the 50s. And I think it was in his book, The Fire Next Time, where he's sort it's a he's talking to his nephew, essentially giving him life advice, a lot about religion um, in the first half. And that's sort of about uh, social expectations. And I believe it was one thing that he said was, you know, using the symbol of the noose. Is dangerous because 
we're not really fighting the noose nowadays. We're not fighting that sort of racism. We're fighting a different type of racism. It's more organized. It's more political. Exactly. It's more in the system than it is in the individual hearts of people. So you don't want to use the same words. You don't want to go back to that sort of imagery because it isn't the same case. When you say abolish the police, I know 100% you're referencing to abolishing slavery. But and those they, institutions... And they even said it. Yeah. They're on the record saying this is what it must feel like when they were going up trying to abolish... No. Yeah, we read No, it isn't, no, it's it not the same. It isn't what they felt. I know it. <laughs> I know it isn't because they wanted it done. They wanted it gone, dead forever. They didn't want it to happen overnight. They didn't want it... They wanted it to happen overnight. They didn't want it to happen a few years down the line. They didn't want... To gradually decline, they wanted it gone because it had to be. And that's just sort of. (laughs) The thing is, there are a lot of different um, African-American philosophers, ideologists, uh, theorists that you can read into and you can pick, you know, however you think is best, you can decide. But it's just sort of like uh, knowing that hearing that I, I. I didn't understand that per se. Like, I got what he's saying. You know, it it makes sense. You know, it's not the same thing. You don't want to make the fight like it's the same thing. Okay, sure. But it's like seeing it nowadays, like where it's actually literally being done, where people are pretending like it is the same thing. The problem isn't going to get resolved. Especially because now there's nobody actually fighting for your cause. You have a large group of people. Yes. But that's just a mob. And if you disagree with that, well, I'm sorry, but the riots prove me right because the vast majority of people disagree with them on all sides. But it's the few that did it that prove what happens when you don't have specific leadership, a specific message, a specific goal. It's not going to be achievable. The message was brought to you by the presidential campaign of Nash Moore. Yeah, I'm running for president. I'm not old enough, but we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> well, all right. No, I think that was very. I think that was very well said. Um, that's because I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. That was all. Good. <laughs> uh, it was very well said. Cause I didn't say anything. Um, so Nash, before we move on to the next story, um, there have been some ideas for change. Some people stepping up, kind of taking the mantle as you just described. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to guess that's no answer if you support this. Some proposals have focused on ending heavy-handed police tactics like no knockout search, no knock search warrants, and military-style raids on homes of suspects. Yay or nay? That that's actually a very good point to bring up because um, it's something that I know a lot of people don't think about is like if you are uh, subject to a no knock warrant, you have to like think about that for a minute. You're asleep in your house. All of a sudden. Your house is getting broken into. There might be flash grenades, but there are definitely going to be flashlights getting waved in your face, guns in your face. You're getting yelled a bunch of orders from a bunch of different people. You're totally, you know, confused and dazed by what's going on. And you're just waking up. Yeah, exactly. So Brianna Taylor. But I mean, in some cases. I. I don't think they should be used as much. They're probably used more often 
than they should be. But odds are, if they are knocking on your door, there's a cop at the back door, too. So I don't think they should be used as much. It's like you're looking at like a Pablo Escobar kind of guy, like somebody that's just like, yeah, upper level trade. Like this, this one's, this one's tough because it, he has, he has a lot of things with these, like these reformations here. It's like, it's going to protect regular people. It's also going to protect criminals, like real criminals. Yeah. This one in particular. And that, yeah, that's not based on race. That's just based on everybody. Cause I, I would love to see a statistic of when no knock search warrants are used on, uh, like minorities and white people. I would love to see a statistic on that because that sort of will really tell you how it gets used because you'll probably find an astronomically higher use for minorities than you would white people. Probably. Even though, oh, there was, what's that book? So I've referenced it a few times. The, uh, the New Jim Crow. That's a book. It, it has a lot of statistics on uh crimes from white and black perspectives just to make the overall point that african americans are marginalized so that's a good book if you're if you're i would say that's an excellent book to start if you want to know about this is the new jim crow okay so uh maybe as the point of ending no knock search warrants maybe Reduce them. Reduce. Okay, reduce them. Definitely need a reduction. So restricting the flow of military gear to police departments and banning the use of military equipment on protesters. Yeah. Yeah, give it to that. Yeah. The first part, 100%. The second part. Nash, you cannot use, like, tear gas in war. We can use them on our own citizens. What do you mean you can't use it in war? Like they're not like the military is not allowed to use tear gas. Yeah, why the hell would they? But we can use them on our own citizens. Well, yeah, because it doesn't kill anybody. Why would you use it in war? Or you're trying to kill people. Tear gas is has the opposite effect. You want to disband people. Well, I guess that just debunks that argument. Okay, but well, uh, you know what I mean. Like, no, because that's an important thing, and I'd I'd like to talk about it just to make sure I'm no, I'm not saying something out of my ass. But it's like tear gas doesn't kill people. No, because right? you know, the argument's being like, okay, why is the police allowed to use something our own military isn't allowed to use on our actual enemies? Because if there are enemies, we don't want to tear gas them. We want to kill them. Like, is it against, like, the Geneva Convention or something? That was my guess. To use tear gas? Maybe it's that chemical warfare. Kind of. It doesn't kill people. It just, like, makes it hard to see for a while. Makes it hard to see and breathe. Yeah. Oh, breathe. Yeah, breathing's kind of being a dick, but... But I agree with this. I don't think that I don't think the police should be able to use military equipment on protesters. Yeah, I don't think they should be using as much. That's kind of stupid. Military gear. To they should. Yeah, because the, the hope is that it never get to that because. Oh, my God. Another thing that beckons back to the Occupy Wall Street thing is just like. People love to protest now. It's like, well, ask yourself why you're protesting and make sure that everybody there <laughs> has the same thing. You don't have a leader. You don't have clear goals. And everybody's there. You don't know what's going to happen. So that's kind of like, yeah, like sometimes you do need that, especially if it's something without 
a direct initiative. All right, here's here's a good one, Ash, before we move on. Many have called for relying on more self-policing by the community, and they compare it to events like music festivals, where the police are stepping in only when a true emergency arises, because everything is comparable to uh, the acid trip of a music festival. It reminds me of that tweet that's like, thank God somebody started playing music at this drug festival. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that's sort of that's sort of the goal of what the police should be. You know, like that, that's sort of the expectation where the police are these people, you know, walking a beat that are actually talking to the community that they're in. They're actually part of the community that they're, you know, enforcing law in. So for them to be there, it isn't that big of a deal. But, you know, right now, no, it's probably not the case. You probably a neighborhood watchman group. Would yeah, probably be best. Yeah. Well, I'm going to throw your curveball, too. Some people say the police shouldn't even handle traffic tickets like traffic stops. That's stupid. Right. Who's going to do that? Well, I mean, you have it. You have a separate entity to do it. Right. But like what? The IRS. Like the idea is why is a cop who should be for the emergency situations pulling you over for running a stop sign? And my thing is, it's the law. Yeah. Who enforces the law? A big thing people need to understand is that when you're in your car, when you're driving a car, it is not a right to be able to drive a car. It's It's a a privilege. privilege. Because a lot of things can go wrong in a car. You're driving a four ton death machine. Exactly. Yeah. So there definitely does need to be a more strict sort of focus on that and back to the gun thing a lot of crimes that are legitimate like drug trafficking and arms trafficking are stopped dead in the water because of those traffic laws you know yeah well from one cop to another nash they canceled cops oh why because <laughs> Because cops have never had more bad PR. Yeah, they did. So, yeah, cop PR really did a shitty job this season. I'll agree to that. So (laughs) they canceled the show Cops and its 33 year run. If you didn't know, they are still making new episodes. Surprise. Um, And then A&E also canceled Live PD on Wednesday. Oh, Live PD. You ever ever Uh, watch Live PD? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Well, because they follow like uh, they follow like the same few cops. Yeah, it's body cams. And like they go back yeah. in the studio and they break down what happens. Yeah. So I think at a time like this, a, a show like Live PD, or maybe I'm giving A&E too much credit here, but like a show like Live PD, I think is kind of important. So you can understand what it's like to be a cop. And cops are breaking yeah. down the situation, what they did right, what they did wrong, what they should have done, what the perp did. Yeah, like I, exactly. what to do in this situation. I feel like a show like this is pretty important right now. Yeah, no, I, I would really agree with that because I can, reboot it, make it a little more informative. I can see how people would get angry because it's like if you look at live PD, it's like, you know, they only choose to select a few cops. And it's like they clearly have their reasons. You know, those cops have good records or whatever. And, you know, they're ranked appropriately because of the work they did rather than the political aspect. But it's like that's kind of. That's what we all need, because we all need to see and understand what a cop can and can't do. You know, because that's honestly (laughs) people really need to realize that kind of information will cost you five hundred dollars an hour at at a lawyer's office. (laughs) So like being able to see that on TV for free (laughs) just because of your cable package. 
oh my god, the steal, the bargain you're getting off of yeah. that. Like, so it's going to why it was canceled. Well, not it's not so much cops. This uh, live PD in particular. So this is moving on. So I'm only talking about live PD. Um, there was footage that showed a man by the name of Javier Ambler, who was reported reportedly tased four times during a 2019 arrest. And he kept he was saying, "I can't breathe and save me before dying." Now, Live PD host Dan Abrams said footage is routinely deleted to keep the show from becoming, quote, an arm of law enforcement. Um, and in this case, it was deleted after investigation cleared officers of any wrongdoing. Abrams also said, in retrospect, he wishes that the footage would have been preserved. So let's go what happened into the actual death of this man. I don't know if it's down here or if it's further up. Okay, yeah. So on March 28th, 2019, a Williamson County de- deputy noticed that Ambler was driving. Wait, wait, where, where is this happening? Williamson County. I don't know where that is. In what? Well, because there's a Williamson County in Tennessee. Yeah, maybe it was in Tennessee then. Um, noted that Ambler was driving with his high beams on and he had failed to dim his lights into oncoming traffic. Um, the officer reportedly flipped on his flashlight, eyes flashlight, but instead of pulling over, Ambler then sped across the highway into neighborhood streets for 22 minutes as the officer chased him. According to reports, Ambler smashed into four stationary objects before crashing a final time. When dash cam footage of the of the chase hasn't been released, local local news outlets were able to obtain body cam footage. So in the footage, the officer arrives several minutes. After Ambler crashes his SUV, he runs up to Ambler, who is surrounded by deputies. Another officer tells Ambler to put his hands behind his back or he will tase him again, implying that he already been tased at least once. According to the information released by Williamson Sheriff's Department uh, Sheriff's Office, he has been tased multiple times by that point. Um, from there, the video shows Ambler on the ground with police over him, all the while he's telling um, that he has congestive heart failure, and he says, I can't breathe. Ambler repeated the phrase as police grab him and to try to handcuff him. Deputies will s- tell him to stop resisting. He says he's not. Uh, Save me, he cries out before being tased again. During this, the officers keep trying to force his hands behind his back. At this point, an officer says he thinks he broke Ambler's fingers. From there, they eventually handcuff him. However, the Ambler uh, becomes unresponsive. Deputies said his pulse, he did he had sex for pulse. He did not have one. They then performed CPR for four minutes. Ambler ultimately died being handcuffed. Um, handcuffed, uh, being handed off to the doctors who spent 50 minutes trying to save his life. An autopsy determined that Ambler had in fact died of congestive heart failure as well as hyperextensive cardiovascular disease. Quote, in combination with forcible restraint. Well, that's another, dude. I don't, there's, okay, when you taste somebody, how the body works. Electrical signals, right? We, We get electrical signals from the brain, and it tells everything what to do. If you're tasing somebody, how in the living hell can you expect them to follow an order when you are disrupting all of those signals? <laughs> how can you expect that to happen? You're literally giving them lightning to their body. And what they're doing is don't be childish. And what they're doing is <laughs> forcing signals upon somebody like that. That's agitating, say the least. Yeah. So while this was all happening, 
Um, the film crew for Live PD was there. They got some footage. And um, so let's go. Let's go back and see why the footage was never used and why it was deleted. So um, this is a statement from A&E. Nash, want to read it? Yeah. Video of the tragic death of Javier Ambler was captured by body cams worn on the officers involved as well as by the protesters, producers, sorry, of Live PD who were riding with certain officers involved. A&E's statement said the incident did not occur while Live PD was on the air, but rather during the show's hiatus when producers are regularly out in the field gathering footage. The footage never aired on Live PD per A&E standards and practices because it involved a fatality. Immediately after the incident, Austin Police Department conducted an investigation using the body cam footage they had from the officers. Contrary to many incorrect reports, neither A&E nor the producers of Live PD were asked for the footage of an, or an interview by investigators from law enforcement or the district attorney's office. As is the case with all footage taken by Live PD producers, we no longer retained the unaired footage after learning that the investigation had concluded. As with all calls we follow, we are not there to be an arm of the police or law enforcement, but rather to chronicle what they do and air some of that footage. And our police's were in place, our policies were in place to avoid having footage used by law enforcement against private citizens. So, in my opinion, Annie didn't do anything wrong here. Yeah, they they, they followed their own procedure. And the procedure sounds fair, right? Like, if they, if they, they're not there to, you like, know, okay, live PD fuck. isn't live, all right? I'm putting that in quotes. Yeah. It's not live to, because what if someone dies? Exactly. Right. Can't and they can't that. show that on TV. Um, so it isn't there to, it isn't there to prop up the, the police necessarily. Yeah. You know, they're show, they are show, because they do follow that. Was, I said earlier, they do follow a select group of police and they know, you know, I assume have good records. If you watch the show, because I've seen maybe 20 episodes total, I don't regularly watch it, but it does follow the same sort of police each time in certain areas because I assume those police have good records, have good reputations. They are, as the wire would define them, good police. They're just doing their job like without any concern of, you know, their own personal gain. They're doing it because they are good people mm-hmm. and they're not trying to say the police are one way or another. It's just easier. If you're an editor or a producer, you have footage that you can use mm-hmm. and you can't use somebody with an on death or on camera. Yeah. Kill. Also, you can't use something that's still part of an ongoing investigation because the police, oh, yeah. police themselves might need it. Yeah. So the that show could, that could that that violates, you know, a fair trial. So the show didn't get canceled because of this incident. This came out afterwards so the show got canceled because of all the um the bad press from um george floyd and the protests and people calling for it to be canceled and this came out afterwards so um last week amy cut short a marathon of live pd and pulled new episodes that had been set to air at the time the network uh was said to be reevaluating the survival of the show this is a quote from a tweet from the host dan abrams shock and shocking beyond disappointed about 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 this um, to the loyal hashtag live PD nation, please know I did, I did, I, we, 
You know, you I... You want me to read this? Yeah, I can't fucking read it. <laughs> Shocked and beyond disappointed about this. To the loyal hashtag live PD nation, please know I, we Here did we go, everything please. we could to fight for you and for our continuing effort at transparency and policing. I was convinced the show would go on. More to continue. More to come. Um, no, more to come. Yeah, that's right. I fucked up. So <laughs> in a post on his site, lawandcrime.com, Abrams explained why the footage of Amber's death was deleted and not handled to law, en- law enforcement or a prosecutor. This is because the show is allowed um, to destroy unaired footage within 30 days unless a court order or the state or federal, a federal law requires it to be retained. Uh, Abrams, however, said they held off on the footage of Amber's death for three months because no authorities ever asked him to hand over the footage. So they could have deleted it early, but they actually hung on to it just in case. Yeah. Which, good on them. Um, so on A&E, made a similar statement. Which, honestly, you know, if... Honestly, that's worse for the police, if you want to think about it. Yeah. Because that just shows more of what happened. And mm-hmm. In court, you want... If you're defending yourself, you want as little information as you can get. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened there. Let's go watch. So let's go down and see what happened to actual cops. The report finds no wrongdoing from the officers. A death in custody report was later filed with the attorney general's office where Ambler's manner of death was listed as a homicide. That report also noted the homicide um, could have been, quote, justifiable. Notably, the reports that Ambler did not attempt or nor did he assault deputies. And um, it also said he didn't verbally threaten um, others or attempt to get any control of officers' weapons. So last Tuesday, uh, the American statesman and KVUE TV obtained the body cam footage where the four Williamson County com- uh, commissioners called the sheriff Robert Cody to resign. Chody. Chody. Uh, still another investigation is being conducted by Travis County D- District Attorney. Margaret Moore, related Nash, in uh, a statement. No, it's not my name. In <laughs> a statement to the American statesman, she said her civil rights division plans to present the case to a grand jury. Quote, it is very serious concern uh, that any who are in law enforcement that the decision to engage in the chase with a driver more of a need to provide entertainment than to keep Williamson County citizens safe. So they're going to get off, essentially, unless it's getting reopened. But the footage, the footage is gone. The footage is destroyed. Yeah, that's kind of a hard thing to do because you can't really. I mean, you're tasing somebody. You can't give them an order. They're not control of their body. Yeah. So it's 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 a shame. Live PD is gone. Um, I think I should like that could be pretty important right now. They did everything right in this situation. It's just another it's that's another story of bad policing. It's another story of bad policing. But what do you think? I I don't know if it is. Okay, continue. I really don't know because, I mean, he had he ran away from the police right after they, you know, told him to pull his. I assume it's because, okay, he has the highs beams on. They flash lights at him. He didn't turn them off. My my thought process immediately is, okay, they think he's drunk driving because they can't even see who's in the car. They can't see who's in the car if they can see his high beams on. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. even if it's somebody at night, even if they have their low beams on, you can't tell who's in that car at night. Yeah. So it really had nothing to do with race or anything at that point. And then he sped around in a neighborhood. Crashed for, into four different objects. For almost half an hour, crashed into a bunch of stuff. 
So, yeah, I, I feel like they were sort of doing their job. Once they start tasing him, that's where it gets iffy for me, because how are you going to tell somebody who's been tased four times to do something? Because they're not really in control of their body. The thing about him saying, you know, his heart problems, I can understand, like, how, how often do you think the police hear that when somebody doesn't even have that? Yeah, they hear lying every single day. Yeah, but they get lied to for a living. But again, they tase the guy four times. They really shouldn't expect his body to function at 100 yeah. percent. That's a ridiculous thing. So I don't really know if it's bad policing. I genuinely don't. I think it's more of this a very bad circumstance. OK, so what do you think of, you know, the the call for these shows to be canceled? Because, that's, the la- that's the last thing you need. Because people are so mad at cops. People hate cops so much. They don't even want to. They, they're demanding the show be canceled. Well, it's sort of like I've bet. Like, did, you, did you see HBO Max took off Gone with the Wind? Oh, no. Yeah. So HBO Max um, temporarily. That's an important thing to, to, to note. Um, they took off Gone with the Wind because how it depicts slavery and, you know, like the. Um, the the how did you ever see Gone with the Wind? I never saw it. So it depicts uh, Mammy, I believe her name is the 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 housemaid, as like the only really the only character who's black in the whole show, and she kind of like is depicted as she enjoys being a housemaid. I think I believe I haven't seen this movie in a very very long time, but you know it's an American classic, one of the most famous movies, most successful movies. It's the highest grossing movie ever if you adjust for inflation. Um, and people got mad that HBO Max took it down. Because with the with the backlash and like the the wave of anger spreading out, yeah, it's like you're censor- you're censoring something that yeah. doesn't really need to be censored. I think for the sake of being sensitive. If you are on the fence about any of this, if you are confused about any of this, if you don't know which way to think, um, but you f- you definitely feel disturbed about what's going on. I would suggest you read New Jim Crow. I forget who the author is. I apologize. It's an incredible book. It has a lot of research in it. Um, It really is written like a doctoral journal. Like everything is footnoted. Everything is tagged and labeled. So you know where all the stats and statistics are coming from. Um, Read The Fire Next Time by Baldwin. Read Frederick Douglass's um, autobiography because... It's not over there. This is one thing in it. He explained. I'm pretty sure this is in his autobiography. He explains this thing that happens. Um, and while he was a slave, like at Christmas time, they would get a bunch of the slaves drunk in like the house. They'd let them into the house They'd get them all drunk. So everybody's having a good time. And that sort of created this sort of misconception for the slaves. We're sort of like, oh, okay, so, you know, if we're good people, if we listen, this is just sort of the thing that we can expect. You know, we can have a good time. We can have, you know, sort of an amount of normalcy to our lives. And it's sort of like a lot of it is around misconception, because think about this. If you are, I feel like everybody sort of knows what a house slave is at this Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Comparatively, wouldn't that be better off than being like in the fields? fields? Of course it would. You get to stay in a building, you know, and everybody's a bit nicer to you just because they engage with you all the time. So 
of course that mentality is going to exist. Is it right? No. But that's all that they knew. It's the wool over their eyes. That isn't a bad that that isn't a bad thing to show. That is something that you need to show because all of this is based around misconception and not understanding. And it's like, how can somebody be tricked? Well, here's how they were. Here is literally exactly the process they went through to be confused, to make it misunderstandable. Yeah. Well, specifically with Gone with the Wind, they were they were like it didn't. Did they it, Hollywood ham it up? Yeah, okay. it didn't necessarily depict it accurately. I think it was the argument. Then, um, yeah. then, I mean, yeah, I mean, but, but listen, HBO Max took it down because it's it's in a case of sensitivity. It's gonna come back. They said they're gonna bring it back. Just for now, they're taking it down to make a point for, for a headline, mm-hmm. and because if they feel it's the right thing to do with everything going on, and they're gonna reevaluate and find a time to bring it back. That's another thing. It's like the amount of people that, or the amount of, no, I'm going to say the amount of people that are just like, if they're just trying to calm you down by doing something like that, what what is really the end goal of that? Okay, for now, we're going to censor it. It'll be back, but for now, we're going to censor it. They're tricking you. They're lying to you. Like, that's all that it is. Like, oh, okay, for now, yeah. Yeah, it's gone. But if the time occurs where we can bring it back, we will. So it's like if you've got you really got to analyze how many people are sort of trying to appease you just for their own benefit. Yeah. I don't know, Nash. The world continues to be a weird. It's a weird place we live in. But, you know, I've been watching the um, documentary, Ken Burns documentary about Vietnam, and they talk about the protests, protesting the war. And I see visuals that are very similar if not even worse to what we have going on today with these protests and these riots do they talk about ken state at all in that i don't believe so. what you do that ha- what you do that happen would have been like 76 and no i have i'm not i haven't gotten there yet um because that what was unique about that was that that school wasn't you wouldn't necessarily consider it like a liberal school yeah and yet it was a massive protest right you know what i mean so that's sort of like People that were against Vietnam weren't just liberal people, even though that's how Nixon wanted to paint them. They were people that that their family members were soldiers. And, you know, how do you define most people that are soldiers today? What political party are they aligned with? Republicans. Exactly. And so imagine you had those people protesting a war. Like that's sort of the importance of that sort of the Kent State protest is sort of you didn't have just a bunch of liberal people spreading ideology. You had people of different backgrounds agreeing to one common cause. I mean, but I bring that up because they, the documentary depicts it as it was left versus right, not necessarily politically, but like one side versus the other side, chaos, everyone's divided. Society itself is coming apart at the seams. I'm just like, wow, that sounds a lot like 2020. Well, it's, that's the thing. Vietnam wasn't, Vietnam wasn't. And that's that's really the biggest takeaway from right now is the more they try to polarize left and right, the more you can say they're trying to manipulate all of us. They want us at each other's throats rather than at their throats, even though they're the ones. Who's they? Define they. It's a political structure. It's anybody in politics, anybody that has an an institutionalized government, your mayor, your police chief, your judges, your city council. 
all of those people, if they want to brush this off more, they are more of the problem. Yeah. Because they are the ones that are responsible for the issues. They are every single one of them, not us, not people that are pissed off right now, because even if you're pissed off a little, and even if you're pissed off the most, there's commonality that the system is fucked, Mm -hmm. that it's messed up in some degree. And the people that are actually part of that system, and I'm not saying system as a drunk person just rambling on about philosophical ambiguities, like that's just the reality. Those are the people that are in charge that are supposed to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen. And what you're seeing is all of them, all of them across the board, brushing it off. Yeah. You need to tell yourself, who the hell are you voting for? It's a lot of virtue signaling too. Yeah. They don't, they don't really want to solve the issue. They just want their position and power to be secured. And that, that isn't bullshit. Right. And even, Cause, how, Cause how, how many shows have we done where I could have said something exactly like that? And I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. all it is. That's all that's going on right now. Even back comparing back to the sixties and the Vietnam era, you know, the press, was and the media was a very important part of it because they were telling the truth. They were telling what's actually happening in Vietnam. They're actually telling what's going on in the world. Whereas today, media might as well be another branch of government. It's more virtue signaling. And a media in general, they tell less about what happens and they tell you more of, here's my take. Here's what you should think and feel about this, not just the facts and presenting the truth. Mm. yeah and i think this this i think this country has a big problem with editorializing and politicizing everything yeah including something as simple as you know the police were wrong for putting their neck on a grown man's neck yeah did a knee on a neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds well there's something to gain they they would rather be on that side of gaining than they would have actually solving an issue yeah it's it's just it's just weird that you see so many similarities to something that happens 50 60 years ago and it's still the same thing yeah but nash i'm sure next week we'll talk about more government more politics more virtue signaling more bullshit and more opinions speaking of some rates editorializing that's all we do editorialize <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen this has been the You Mad World Podcast yes I do understand my hypocrisy thank you for pointing it out uh, if you like what you've heard if you want to hear more go to ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com check out all the other shows on that network Daily Grind Sample Cell Podcast Get Good Gaming uh, The Guardian Download all of Wrestle Act Radio KOTR Kings of Wings episode 200 is coming this week Thursday morning it drops my 200th episode of my wrestling podcast Wow. What a time to be alive. Will Tarashek, T's and Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K, Nash. Any final thoughts? They canceled cops, man. I'm still pretty bummed. I am kind of bummed up. I didn't mention Ta-Nehisi Coates. Read some of him. Sure. <laughs> All right, Nash, you're mentioning a lot of books. What's Who's your favorite author? Oh, God. And tell me it's a drunk. Please tell me it's a drunk. Oh, my God. Well, of course. If they're an author and they're not a drunk, they're not an author. Um... <laughs> It was Hemingway. I knew you were going to say Hemingway. We'll be back. Don't go ahead and move. No, because everyone's going to be like, oh, he likes Hemingway. No, because he did something that is a bunch of bullshit. Hemingway is a beautiful author because he's half bullshit, half reality. Because he's renowned as an author for being able to say things without saying You can't get more bullshit than that. The man can say things without saying them. 
Oh my god, and he was a huge drunk. And he also said, to be a good artist, you have to starve, even though never in his life was he a starving artist. And we'll be back next week as long as... Thank you.